Hey guys, it's Jeff. Just a quick addendum before we begin the show. Of course, we recorded it on Wednesday night, December the 2nd, and then Thursday morning, uh, the news breaks that Mackenzie Milton is entering the transfer portal. We had no idea that it was coming, obviously, but uh, we're going to do an emergency podcast about that later today, Thursday, December 3rd, uh, talking exclusively about Mackenzie Milton. Now, in this show, in the first segment, we do speculate recklessly about it, the possibility of his, of him transferring or declaring or whatnot, but we had no idea that the news was dropping. So if you get to that point in the show, you can you can listen or, you know, not just fast forward a few minutes until we get to talking about Marlon Williams. But uh, I just wanted to give you a heads up, and then we're going to be doing that uh, emergency podcast again uh, on Thursday, December the 3rd. So make sure you download that and make sure you subscribe to our feed so you get a notification when it comes down. All right, let's get to the show. This is the Black and Gold Anorette. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you on Wednesday, December the 2nd. This is when we're recording this on the evening of Wednesday, December the 2nd. On, uh, well, the... Uh, does this count as Eric as the sports equinox that we're going to get right now? I mean, we, we had football, we had basketball, but, you know, I mean, it was basically like a two-day-long equinox, wasn't it, around the Thanksgiving holiday? I don't know about an equinox. I have a feeling the equinox will be taken to the extreme come uh, starting in late January. But it was <laughs> nice. It was nice to be having multiple sports going on from UCF for a change. It was. It felt nice. So football wrapped up the regular season against South Florida. Um, we'll be talking about that and what happens next for the Knights. Also, what happens with a couple guys uh, on the team, including uh, Marlon Williams. What will they, what will his next move be? Um, and uh, we'll speculate a little bit about the bowl situation. We'll also talk about men's basketball's win over Auburn in their opening game. A ruthlessly efficient victory over the rather young Auburn Tigers. And then uh, also women's basketball getting a win in their first game the day before Thanksgiving. They just took Virginia to the woodshed. Uh, against uh, in their uh, in their opener against uh, on the home floor, beat them by 26 points, and uh, it was an impressive performance indeed. So lots to talk about there. Uh, remember, you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course uh, Black and Gold We are the home of the UCF Knights on the SB Nation Network. So let's talk football. 58-46 was the final on Black Friday. UCF wipes out South Florida. Uh, in a game that, you know, everybody on social media was complaining about this game. And the South Florida fans were like, ha, 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 you're not beating us by as much as you thought you did. But UCF still scored 58 points on them on their own field. The game wasn't that close. Uh, there was a little moment there late where USF kind of got within, what was it, 45-38 in the fourth? Yeah, 45 And had the ball. They had the and they ball, had and the then ball. they turned the ball over. Yeah. And then the defense made a play, turned the ball. Now, okay, I'm not going to recount, like, all the things. I'm just going to go over, you know. Well, especially the, since that game took forever. Oh, I it, mean, good yeah. Lord. For crying out loud, people, please, can we get, can we, college football, fix your damn sport already. Good Lord. We don't well, need what a four-hour. What do you want them to do? What do you want them to do? For starters, Keep the clock running when teams make a first down. And please don't spend 10 minutes on an instant replay review of a guy, whether he's down at the one or he's down at the half-yard line. Come on, people. Come on. (laughs) 
So uh, USF uh, did finish the game with 646 total yards. They actually outgained UCF. Um, the Knights had 577 yards on 81 plays. That works out to 7.1 a play. Uh, 404 yards passing uh, on the game uh, on the day for uh, for USF. Uh, I thought that um, uh, their their quarterback Jordan McLeod actually played really well. I, I thought that he was really outstanding. Dylan and Dylan Gabriel had a game where he was just like it's, he oh you know just another Dylan Gabriel game. 22 of 36, 336, four touchdowns, one pick. Um, McLeod was 32 of 46 for 404 and four touchdowns, no picks. Uh, two Bulls ran for 100 yards, Kelly Joyner and Brian Petit. Two Knights ran for 100 yards, Greg McRae and Bentavious Thompson. Of course, Otis Anderson didn't play. Um, neither did, uh, we found out later, Marlon Williams. Uh, and uh, UCF had, uh, let's see, Jacob Harris had 110 yards, three touchdowns on five catches. Trey Nixon had 94 yards. Uh, uh, Jalen Robinson had another 81 yards. So there's a lot of offense happening throughout this game. Um, That's what happens when you have a game with over 100 points, Jeff. Well, yeah, shocking enough. But the end result of it was, I think, was it, 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 to me, the game wasn't as close as the fans made it out to seem. Um, Yeah, USF kind of had a little little moment there, but UCF kind of kept them at bay uh, and kind of stiff-armed them the whole way down. Um... You know, I do think USF is going to get better under Jeff Scott. I think they showed some signs. Can't I think, get any worse. Well, that's true, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I don't think the <laughs> I don't I don't think that there's as much to be concerned of about this about UCF at the end of. The, I mean, it was a six and three season. Regular season comes to an end. They end up finishing the season playing all the games. They didn't have lose one game to COVID. Um, and I thought a tremendous credit is due to the coaching staff and the players. Um, and the support staff as well for, you know, maintaining the discipline and all the things that they had to do um, in order to in order to play the whole season. And now UCF just awaits a bowl game. I I, I don't know. I, I mean, call me crazy here, uh, Brian, but I I wasn't like a lot of fans that I see on Twitter who are like, oh my god, this is terrible. How do it's it's like we lost. I'm like, I'm like no, we won. Like it's it's it was a rivalry Some game. People would- they some won. people in Vegas you, would. Some people in Vegas would argue that we well, did lose. Well, screw them. Fun. I don't care. Whatever. That's not my problem. You so, lost if you, you lost if you uh, took if you took the if you gave the points. Yeah. You, uh, you definitely lost. Well, yeah, no, don't so, give the points in a rival. In the round table. Don't points in the yeah. Don't points. Uh, don't <laughs> give the points in a rivalry game when you're on the road. How about that? Like, there's an that idea. So anyway, Murph. I, I don't know. Am I am I out of my gourd here? What? No, not, not, I mean, usually yes, but not here. Um, <laughs> wow, that's reassuring. <laughs> I, it's just amazing the, 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 uh, the, the short-term memory loss that I, I believe some of the fan base has when you look at the past few games before this one in which UCF's defense was surprisingly good without Houston, having to go through all the tumult of that week and then go to Houston and put up what was their best defensive performance of the year. The game against the game against Temple, really, the defense set the tone for that entire game. Uh, the offensive the offensive numbers in that game were down because the defense was so good. The game against Cincinnati in the first half, they they gave Cincinnati probably the worst offensive uh, performance of their season in the first half of that of the first half of that game. Um, and yeah, they got worn down in the second half because Cincinnati just keeps pounding at you. 
But that defense was pretty good against the top against the top ten team. Yeah, and kept now them in the game. Sudden, kept them in the game. And now all of a sudden, yes, while the offense couldn't score for for again a big long chunk of time, the defense kept them in the game. And now all of a sudden, USF comes along. It's a rivalry game. People, here's the thing: people wanted to see UCF win this game sixty-four to twelve or something around there. Blood, blood. They, they want. They do. They want scalps. I want scalps. So. <laughs> When UCF wins by a significant margin, but doesn't look great in doing it, isn't perfect, keeps USF competitive, all of a sudden it's, our defense sucks all year. As if we didn't spend the last three weeks fawning over this defense and how well they've actually played. Come on, people. I I think there's the only legitimate conversation we can have here is, does Randy Shannon return as defensive coordinator, which is really more of a question about economics than about coaching. Uh, do you do you want to pay him one billion or more? And this in a pan, during a pandemic while UCF's athletics is taking you know is is in the red, um, probably not. But then people shouldn't look at that as as a demotion or a firing. If they move on from Randy Shannon, it's a lot to do with probably just money. The defense itself, which is starting a ton of guys who are either freshmen or sophomores or guys with little starting experience, was really really improved in the past month of the season. All of a sudden, they have a really bad game, and people want the entire team burned to the ground. Stop it. Just stop. It. Yeah, no, nothing wrong giving up 46 love- points to the 107th-ranked offense in the country. No problems, guys. Don't worry about it. There is no problems when you have a bad game and still win after three weeks in which you played much better offense is better. And where I mean, it looked are- like and, – and where it looked like – okay, this is going to sound bad. I'm trying to figure out the right, right way to word this. Like, in the second half – you could tell that UCF was like we we've got this game. This I, I tell you what this reminded yes. me. It reminded me yes. of the it reminded me of the the Fiesta Bowl against Baylor, right? Like I was I was sitting there biting my nails that whole game, and and everyone who I talked to afterwards was like, we had that game. We just chose not to really rub it in on them. And you know there were a couple of times that Baylor got back in the game. Well, well those was, people but, need to be. Uh, they think those people are full of it. First no, of they're not. They're not. They're absolutely that not. Was, and no, I know no, they're to not. Suggest that they all oh, we had it in the bag. Baloney. There, that you have had to constantly Eric, answer in the Fiesta. Eric, I don't want to. Eric, no, no, no. That's it, like hindsight twenty twenty crap. I'm no, not. No, it's that. I, it's not. I I do believe it. I went back and watched the game. I do. I really do believe that, especially in the fourth quarter. I think. It, I think this was a. This was sort of a replay of that. I think UCF knew they had the game. They knew no, they were better than USF, not. and they just and you know. And I think maybe that played into a little bit of complacency. I, I just, I, and then they were I, like, I you know what? Let's I, make a play and get out of here. Let's let's get. I disagree. I completely disagree. Well, with you're that. wrong. Uh, no, I'm not. This is what I think. Here's what happened. They play to the level of the opponent. They play down to their level of the opponent. That's what they did. And I don't I don't blame them. I get it. The game meant nothing. When you're okay, you just had this emotional, intense game against Cincinnati. You're coming back a week. You're missing starters. You're playing some young guys that probably hadn't been playing that much in the secondary in particular. You're going to have a drop-off. That game meant more to USF than it did to UCF. That's all it was. That's all it was. Let's not let's not make excuses for it. It is for what it is. They won the game. It was ugly. I you know, I'm not going to celebrate it. I let's just forget the game and move on. Really? And that and that game again, but I, my, my point being is that game isn't is not an indictment on this defense. If this if this defense traditionally played down to the level of their opponent, they wouldn't have played as good as they played against Temple and Houston. Right. Um, it was a bad game. I get it. There were blown coverages. There were back communication. It was not very good. But 
yeah, you would never felt like UCF was at risk. And I and with again with a ton of freshmen and sophomores in the front seven and two starting freshman corners, a guy in Derek Enos without a ton of starting experience at safety. You have two sophomore linebackers. You have a, two sophomore edge rushers. You have a sophomore defensive tackle. And all of a sudden, they have a bad game just because they didn't win by 30, because they had some bad plays. All of a sudden, people forget. They just forget the last three games. And it's, it's, anno- it's just annoying. And it's by the way, annoying. by the way, Eric, wasn't it you who was always talking about, hey, mobile quarterbacks give UCF problems. Yeah, Guess what Jordan yeah, McLeod was. Yeah but, yeah, but don't make him look like freaking Johnny Manziel. He's terrible. I mean, good <laughs> Lord. Like, Johnny look. Man. I mean, that turned into an arena football game. That's what it was. Okay, let's just, you just don't nobody like played. points. You don't like scoring. And, and, neither, was, and by the way, neither did the country because that was the ratings were awful for that. Game. It was a, so, it was a, it was a terrible game to watch. Yeah, I was unwatchable, unwatchable because it was absolutely interminable. It would not end. But then also, <laughs> just like, what am I watching? I, I at no point did I feel like that game was at risk for you for UCF and. It was just sloppy play, big play after big play after big play. You're like, there's no intrigue here. I spent most of the second half not watching that game, but instead sitting in the press box wanting to write, wanting to like, like debate myself over whether I wanted to write an article about, about how badly handled the McKenzie Milton situation was. And the, I didn't and watch that, any. Well, and let's be honest. You asked about people being upset, Murph. I think a part of that was, you know, the expectations prior to the game about McKenzie Milton. And yeah. Then, that now the news comes out that he's not playing, and I think from that point on, it was just – it was a bad day. It was a bad day overall. I, uh, it, it was a lousy day. Let's forget about it. I've forgotten about it. We move forward. But that I think it was just – you know, unfortunately, it just didn't work out. I, I'm and glad people, you're oh, – yeah. go ahead, Murph. I'm sorry. People will forget about this game. Like, it's, yeah. it's not it's a game that will stick to at all. It's all right. a very forgettable game. Well, let's let's pick it up from there because I because I, the – the uh, yes, we kind of had a head fake here, but di- did we head fake ourselves? I think is the question, um, and I think there's a pretty good possibility that we did. It came out during the telecast that uh, Mackenzie Milton. Uh, this is the d- day of the game. He spoke to the crew from UCF, and, and we were all hanging on. You know, Dylan Gabriel's thing from the you know a couple days before, saying we got some surprises on offense for you. You know, they never. So here's McKenzie's quote, which ESPN, to their credit, put up during the game. All right, he said, uh, this is McKenzie, quote, I haven't suited up all year, and I don't see the point in going out there today for sentimental reasons. For me, I don't want to go out there until 100% and until I'm 100% and playing at a high level. So there's no rush for me to get back out there on the field. That's been the basis of me suiting up all year. Am I 100%? And right now, I'm not. End quote. So... That to me was like, okay, well, we got, we kind of feel like we all kind of duped ourselves by reading way too much into what Dylan Gabriel was saying, and <laughs> and Mackenzie Milton was like, no, I'm not gonna play, <laughs> like, no, I'm not gonna shock everybody here, uh, and and it's it's completely within his purview to decide when he wants to play and when he doesn't. If he doesn't want to play, that's fine. So. I- you know, so I, I don't blame McKenzie. I think, I don't know. I, I think we kind of, I think we kind of went for a little ride right there. Am I wrong? No one's, no one's blaming McKenzie. No one is. No, no uh, one should. Nor should they. 
Certainly, yeah, I think some of some of it was projection that we wanted this to happen so much. You know, we've talked about if this was the game he came back. This, you know, if it was a game where he came back, this would be the one because of the symmetry of the situation. But you know, I've talked to people inside the program who don't really understand what Dylan Gabriel was doing on that Monday. Like he was not asked. <laughs> Dylan Gabriel was not asked whether or not McKenzie was going to play. He was asked whether McKenzie had had, had talked to him about the meaningfulness of coming back to that stadium two years post-injury. And Dylan then fielded it as if he was asked about McKenzie playing. So he went out of his way to sort of make it seem like something. And so, and and again, this is from a quarterback, for those of you who don't know, this is from a quarterback who does not say much. Dylan Gabriel is a heavy coach speak guy. He is he is typically boring to talk to. He does not say it much at all. He, said, he has said two things that caught anybody's attention all year. One, he called UCF the best team in Florida, and that made news. And two, he hinted that that McKenzie Milton was going to play in this game by saying, basically, we got surprises. He may not. He may so. And while smiling the entire way through, so and that made news too. So yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I understand that we ran with this because we wanted to have him. We also ran with it because there seemed to be a lot of smoke there, and then there was well, no denial. There was no denial from UCF, and that's my issue with the entire deal. Once Monday happens and you see the reaction to that, it is it is nationwide. It is now an issue on SportsCenter that night that Dylan Gabriel's dropping hints about uh, about Mackenzie Milton possibly playing in this game. You know you're building up fans' expectations for something, and as it turns out, Mackenzie Milton was never close to playing in this game. It was never actually ever going to happen. So I feel like at that point. Uh, UCF needs to probably tell someone, like, like, or put out a statement either through Dylan Gabriel or someone, like, you know, I, I might have misspoke. This is not going to happen. I understand. What, I understand the reasons why they didn't, because you want people to tune in to watch McKenzie and, and get those and, and get those ratings. You want people to come to the game because they're interested in seeing McKenzie play. And we know for a fact, guys, that more people showed up to this game for the sole purpose of the possibility of seeing McKenzie. So. If you wanted to, t- to tempt people into watching this game and coming to this game, then you did that. But you also raised expectations that they knew inside the program were never going to be fulfilled, and it left a lot of people disappointed. And 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 I, you know, we were all very upset, and we all felt like yes, we had run with it. But we all felt in some way that we had been duped, and uh, I wish they'd handled it better because what what ended up happening is now McKenzie has to put out that statement to calm the fire. And that, that, that puts McKenzie in a bad position. He shouldn't have to do that. McKenzie should not have had to make that statement. UCF should have handled this better knowing that he was not going to play in this game. Mm, yeah. I, I agree. Well, let me let, can, let me defend Dylan for a second here because, you know, I understand what he said Monday, okay? And mm-hmm. that triggered some things. And then, obviously, Scott Van Pelt talked about that on his show Monday. But in fairness, Tuesday morning, Andrea Adelson, ESPN released an article, Andrea Adelson article interview with Mackenzie Milton that came out Tuesday. Let me read you uh, a portion of this interview, uh, this of that story that I think, I think may also, I think contributed to the expectations and why I don't think people were overreacting like, oh, he might play or not. Let me read you this uh, from the story here. Quote, UCF's trip to USF on Friday is the first since Milton got hurt. The Knights play in the same stadium for their bowl game last year, so Milton has been back. But this time, it sure feels a little bit different. 
Milton has not suited up since he got hurt, and he wants to ask Heupel if he can if he can on Friday. He knows Gabriel's the starter, and backup Quadri Jones is ahead of him on the depth chart. But if there is any role for him in the game plan against the Bulls, he wants to have one. He also knows another year awaits him given the pandemic alter eligibility rules. That let me all right. So we go that was Andrew's words there. You know that we all have written stories and after doing interviews, she didn't just make that quote up there. She didn't just make that statement up out of thin air. That makes it sound like Mackenzie Milton wanted to play in that game. Well that then you know what I mean? Then someone's, then someone's lying at that point because yeah. because Mil- because because Heifel said after the game, and I believe this, Heifel said it's all McKenzie's decision. Let's play that. Let's play that clip. All right, here it is. With with KZ, it, it really has been day by day, week by week, and and um, KZ's in charge of of that process. Um, I think that's important. Um, you know, he's a. He's as fierce as a, of a competitor as, as I've ever been around, and very prideful, and uh, wants to be back. Wants to be back at 100%. Um, and you know, for that reason, that's why you know he hasn't suited up yet, and, and that's been been his call. You know, and and uh, we're going to continue to help him. You know, it, it's remarkable what his journey's been, and, and today was uh, you know emotional day uh, for me. I can't imagine uh, the feelings that he had uh, coming back into the stadium and on that field, um, all the work that he's had to uh, put in. And um, great story of faith and, and, and the power of the human spirit. And uh, um, it's not a complete story yet. Um, he's going to continue on that journey. And, and uh, um, you know, when he's ready to play, he'll be out there at 100%. So there is Josh Heupel again talking about the, the faith and strength of McKenzie's recovery but also saying that his decision is his decision to play or not to play. And so if McKenzie really wanted a role in this game, quote unquote, even if that was, you know, to hand off or to play a couple of snaps, I I think that's available to him as long as he wants it. So I'm kind of confused over what Andrea is reporting and what Hypo is saying. There's a, there, there is a conflict. there. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. And we don't know. Could there be that, McKenzie had thought in his mind, hey, I want to have a significant role. And Josh is like, no, we don't. We, we, we're trying to win a football game here. And maybe we could try to sneak you in at the end. Maybe are they maybe they weren't on the same page. I mean, I'm not saying that happened. I mean, I don't know. It just finds it weird that on and this came out Tuesday. That's what Andrea wrote. And I know Andrea. Well, you all know Andrea. Well, she take, I don't think again, this wasn't just out of thin air. Um, clearly. I think that was somewhat that was the impression there and something, you know, happened. And I don't think I don't know if anybody's necessarily lying. It might just been a miscommunication. And I think looking back at McKenzie's statement and the fact that he didn't suit up for this game when they're probably if he wanted to take a couple snaps, I think that's available to him Um, because, yeah, guys, certainly he's 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 well enough to at least, you know, take a handoff or take a knee on a victory formation snap like. That is not above the realm. Maybe maybe he can't. Maybe he's not physically clear to do everything, uh, or to get hit. But he could do that. Um, so I think though, Mackenzie Milton is dead set on one thing, and it's it's pretty evident through the statement that he released, and that is starting a college football somewhere again. And and look, if he said that he was not going to play for sentimental reasons, to me that sounds like a guy who will not play the, until he has a, a starting 
significant job somewhere. And obviously, unless something happens to Dylan Gabriel, that's not happening here at UCF. Mm. And so I, 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 you have to imagine, I mean, people are going to lose their minds, but Mackenzie Milton is not going to be here next year. I would I would be very surprised if he is. I would, I would think he's going to transfer out once he's fully 100% and find a place where he can actually go compete for a starting job. Because when he's got a, a top, you know, one of the nation's best passers in front of him, it's not happening here. And, and so I think this is this is it for Mackenzie Milton's UCF time. But it's for the best if it's what he wants to do because what he wants to do is start somewhere. Do, do you so? Yeah, you know, yes. People are going to freak out about this. So, so Murph and I, and then Eric, I'll go to you after this. Uh, at gunpoint, you're th- you're thinking that Mackenzie Milton, you know, given the choice between staying at UCF, declaring for the NFL, or um, or getting one more shot to start at a college program. He would he would tra- he would go to the transfer portal and try and start somewhere else. Yeah, cuz he's not again, again, his goal is still to play in the NFL. We, we've talked a lot about his coaching aspirations and and those are still very apparent, very alive. But he wants to play in the NFL too. Yeah. And so he he can't do that until he proves himself. And he can't do that here because there's no opportunity for that to happen. Uh he wants to, you know, and he can't go to the NFL now. No one has seen him play in 2 years. So, uh, so he has to rehabilitate basically his playing image somewhere that will give him a chance to do that. And that isn't UCF, and it's not any ill feelings. It's just the way it works out. Dylan Gabriel is fantastic. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You can't bench that. You can't bench that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would be shocked. I, I would almost be more shocked if McKenzie was still here next year than if Randy Shannon was still here next year. That like I'm I'm like 100% confident that McKenzie Milton will find somewhere else to play because that's what he wants to do. He wants to prove himself again, but he can't do that here. There's no space. Eric, what do you think? I think Murph's 100% right. He's he we've seen him the last time as a UCF Knight. And right, you know, and that's I think that's the right thing. He need it's there is no spot for him here. And remember this. A lot of the people he played with here and coaches he that you know, he came to co- to play for are not here anymore. This is not, you know, so I think, yeah, I think it's you move on, try to prove himself that he could start. And I think he's going to get opportunities out there because you always need a quarterback. Heck, look in Tallahassee right now. They could use a quarterback right now or two. So he's going to get opportunities to prove himself. And I think, yeah, I think he will. I, I think Murph nailed it. Um, I think he'll transfer and where he ends up, who knows? But yeah, I, 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 I agree with Murph. I would be shocked, shocked a hundred times, thousand times that if he's back here. I think there's a better chance that UCF's in the Big 12 than Mackenzie Melton dr- suiting up at UCF ever again. This breaks Please my heart. Go to- huh? I know. It, it's going to hurt, obviously, but but it's, it's the realization of, of not only where this program is right now with its situation, but where Mackenzie is. And if Mackenzie's healthy enough to start a college football game again, then he should go do that somewhere. But he can't do that here because there's no quarterback spot open. But please go to Nebraska. Adrian, <laughs> Martinez, Adrian Martinez has not been good. I want him to go to Nebraska. I do, well, some, I, I do too. I do too. I, I've had this argument with Andrew Glukoff on our postgame show Night Shift, which you can find on our YouTube page. Uh, he is sold on McCaffrey, the Nebraska quarterback. I am oh, not. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but you, so are you sold on the McCaffrey kid? Uh, because oh. – I'm not, personally. No, what about? Well, that's he's an he's an he's an incomplete right now. I don't know if you yeah. can tell. But what I think, 
he could start. He could he could go there and compete. And let's be honest, if you're Scott Frost, that's the only quarterback you've had in your last handful of years. That's won games for you. So well, again, and you know. and McKenzie could go there to compete to play. But we already know that Scott Frost would welcome him with open arms to coach. To to right. coach Scott Frost wants him to come to Nebraska, and that would be enticing to for McKenzie to learn under the guy who recruited him, who right. turned him into a phenom. I'm repeating everything I said three weeks ago when we talked about this. But yeah, I I don't know. I, I again, it probably doesn't make sense, like like in, like schematically and really in the sense of like what Nebraska's depth chart looks like. But just for my own selfish, self-involved reasons, God, I want McKenzie Milton to play for Nebraska right now. Oh my! <laughs> send Jesus. your hate mail. Send your hate to Brian Murphy, ladies and gentlemen. I hate, but no. let's go. But he, I, I think you would agree, though, Murph. He's gonna have he's gonna have opportunities because. Yes. Like and again, I think Florida State. There's other schools. I'm sure they'll be like, you know what? Let's give them give them a shot. What do we got to lose? We got nothing right now. I'm not. I, yeah, I'm not sold. He would even go to a group of uh, to a Power Five team. Right. Maybe he goes to a group of five team. Like why Andrew not? brought that up. Andrew brought that up. On what the if he goes he to a place like? What if he goes to back home? What if he goes to a place like Hawaii? Well, Hawaii, I think makes sense. And I'll give you another one. Washington State. The head coach there, remember, came from Hawaii. Mm. Yeah. Um. What about uh, the one that I keep hearing about when I fly around Twitter is Ole Miss because Jeff Levy's there. Do you guys buy that? I mean, obviously the, the connection makes sense, but the problem is they have a quarterback. I don't. He's not going to start over Matt Corral. Matt Corral is there, and I believe he's only a sophomore, and he's put up good numbers. Ole, uh, Ole Miss's problems are not offense. It's defense over there. They've got a quarterback now, uh, and I believe actually they just – turned a florida state commit who's from the state of mississippi is one of the top quarterbacks uh in this upcoming rec- uh signing class uh, signing day which is coming up by the way um he was yeah. verbally committed to florida state he just uh uncommitted and i believe the word is he's going to go to Ole miss so hmm. that more than likely so i i just don't see the room for him there but you can't dismiss it because of the Jeff Levy, uh, Jeff Levy factor for sure, and Kevin yeah. Smith is there too. So it'd be kind of weird to have all the UCF guys at Oxford. <laughs> I am sure that our audience is just loving this segment right now. By the way, Gosh, I'm sorry guys. <laughs> um, just make please. The, we'll have, the show will get better. I promise. Well, let, let's let's talk about more guys leaving UCF instead. Oh, uh, Marlon Williams announced that he's that he has played his last game at UCF. Um, this is no surprise. He did not play against U- USF. Um, Apparently he was injured and uh, uh, quite badly <laughs> in, in that respect too. But uh, he is, uh, but he will he will move on uh, as well. What's the the last word, Murph, on uh, on Marlon Williams? And where do you see, you know, ostensibly he's getting ready to he's opting out and getting ready to declare for the NFL draft. Uh, well, he doesn't have to declare; he's a senior. But uh, well, I mean, he could he could have come back. He could add one more year of eligibility. But what's the what's the last word on Marlon here? Uh, a guy who, remember entering the season, it was like, well, who's going to fill Gabe Davis's shoes? And maybe it's Marlon, but I mean, I don't Trey know Nixon, or well, Trey Nixon too, and he got hurt. But but, but really, it was like we didn't know, yeah. right? It was like, well, Jalen Jalen Robinson, Marlon Williams, yeah, Marlon Williams is sort of a possession receiver, should be more one of the stretch guys like Trey Nixon or Jalen Robinson. We don't know. We'll find out. Boy, howdy, was it Marlon Williams? I was one of the best receivers in the nation uh, this year. Tough, dependable, runs a series of different routes, different portions of the field, uh, really hard to bring down. 
reminds you of because of the way he can be versatile in his usage and his strength and his balance, his toughness kind of reminds you like a Debo Samuel uh, kind of player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's interesting to see him go where, see where he fits in the next level. Um, uh, Eric, you had something, didn't Mark Daniels, you probably know this. Didn't Mark Daniels say something about what happened exactly with Marlon Williams? Uh, yeah, I think he's, he kind of alluded to on the on the show, on the radio show, uh, that it was a kind of a fractured ankle, basically. Yeah, so, and apparently he had played with that ankle for for like he had played with it before, like he played with it during the Cincinnati game, I Yikes. believe. So yeah, anyway, he's not playing anymore because he needs that ankle fixed up, guys. <laughs> uh, and why not? Because there's no reason to play in that USF game. There's no reason to play in a bowl game. Uh, take care of yourself. Go to the pros and see what happens. Uh, the guy was uh, remarkable this year. I think exceeded expectations, even for those of you, those who were his hardiest supporters. Uh, I mean, really, one of the best receivers in college football. Uh, Otis Anderson also didn't play against South Florida. Uh, ostensibly, he is also heading to the next level. What's, what's, the, what's the, I guess, outlook on Otis, at least at this point? Yeah, I don't. So I don't know why Otis didn't play, uh, but certainly I would not expect him to play in the bowl game either. I, you know, remember Otis certainly flirted with the NFL last year, thought mm-hmm. about going, wrote his letter that he was coming back for his senior year. Um, you know, again, I, it's really he's he's dip, more difficult to judge on an NFL level because I don't know if he's great at one thing. Like he is a capable uh, he's a capable running back. He's a capable receiver. He's a capable punt returner. I don't know if he's fantastic at either of those things, you know, and he's, he's really undersized to be, uh, uh, you know, a, a volume running back at the next level. So I don't know. He looks to me more like a, a gadget player, um, which can, certainly can, can work. You've seen plenty of guys in the NFL do that with limited touches. Um, but I, you know what I think about Otis is, you know, he was just a true freshman, when he scored the initial go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter of the USF game in 2017, to to think about everything that he has accomplished. I know many others have too here in the program, but we're talking about Otis right now. To think about what Otis has accomplished since he stepped into true freshman in a sizable role in that Scott Frost offense right away, he has been integral to every part of the success this program has experienced over the past four years. One of the most important players in this new generation of UCF mm-hmm. football since 2017. And again, multiple and multiple facets as a runner, receiver, returner, um, fantastic player. Uh, also for media, a fantastic talker, really speaks his mind, not very guarded, not boring at all. It's been a pleasure interviewing him. Uh, and, and again, it's just um, to, to think of the impact he made from the day he stepped on campus to now. Uh, yeah. He was never... He was always, always a part, a big part of this uh, last four years of success. Um, so that leaves us with wondering what's going to happen with UCF the rest of the season. Is the season over? Or are we going to play a bowl game? Now, I've, the word is, you know, fr- from all the rumors that are flying around, is that um, basically Eric and uh, you and Andrew have been right um, about it being either the Cure Bowl or the uh, Boca Raton Bowl. There are a lot of rumblings about Boca Raton. They seem to be rather loud rumblings of late, but, um, and this will be the last thing before we go to break here. Um, We might find out pretty quickly whether or not it's, uh, which bowl game it might be. Um, I guess this will be our last little prediction before that. 
Uh, Eric, where do you think the bowl game is going to be? Where's UCF going to play in a bowl game? And will they uh, play in a bowl game? Yeah, they're going to play, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> like, good God forbid. You, you know, just we hate gotta bowl have games. More. You hate fun. You hate fun. You hate points. You hate bowl games. You hate anything fun. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, exhibition games, you know? Wow. Like, hey, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but we're in a pandemic. Anyway. <laughs> um... <laughs> But despite that, hey, we gotta get our we gotta make sure we go to Boca so the seventy year old old guy who has a twenty dollar jacket from Walmart is happy that to sponsor the bowl game. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> uh, I mean I, wow. I, I think yeah. I yeah, I think um I personally <laughs> think He won't be on that bowl committee anytime soon, huh, Murph? No, <laughs> I yeah, I'm really gonna miss out on Boca Raton, Florida. Eric, such a hotbed. Eric Lopez just ripping septuagenarians for no reason yeah, whatsoever. Geez. Well, I heard that, you know, that's Ageist. the Golden Girls' favorite bowl game there just because, you know, it's a great place to hang out for Weren't a they in Miami? They weren't in Palm Beach County. Anyway. Yeah. I personally think they should go to the Cure Bowl. I think you could get a better matchup there because you're going to probably play a top 25 team if you play in the Cure Bowl against either Louisiana or Coastal Carolina. The loser of the Sunbelt Championship game ends up at the Cure Bowl. Uh, I think that's more attractive than playing Liberty, who may or may not be in that bowl game. Hell, they may not even play this week because they're ducking out of Coastal Carolina. I mean, have COVID cases. Um, and then, or a Max school. All right, Herb Street. Easy or a it. Max school. Or a Max school, which is so exciting. I know we all think back of those great memories of the Mac days. Um, I would rather play in Orlando. You stay on campus. You, It's a drive. I think you save money. I'm about saving money and all this stuff. But I think, you know, if you want to get excited about the game, you play in the Cure Bowl. December 22nd, UCF is scheduled to have a pretty important men's basketball game at home against Cincinnati. Don't make the fans pick between them. With all that being said, I think the counter to that is if you want to get these players, uh, out, you know, finish as quickly as possible, the Boca game is before Christmas. So you play the game on the 22nd and then you're done. Where instead of waiting four extra days, that's the counter argument. I know that's what our Andrew has made the argument about that. We have that up on the black and go banner com. But yes, they're going to play in a bowl game. It's going to be one of those two spots. Murph, what do you think? Fine by me. Yes, they're playing a bowl game. Josh Heupel said it himself, said after the game, I don't think we've played our last game. So they're going to play. Uh, it'll be it'll be Cure or Boca. We know it's one of the two. Andrew Which one and do you Eric. want it to be? I'm putting you on the spot right now. Uh, I'll go with Cure just because it's closer. Like I don't want. I mean, I've made the drive it's... to FAU a few times, but I don't want to drive to FAU again. Uh, it's a dump, gosh. right? Like that's, nobody likes that stadium. It's not a dump. It's not. A, it's it's no. It's not. Uh, it's not. It's not spe- or, uh, the bounce house, but it's not bad. Plus, we can we can we can dust off the, we can dust off the storyline of Dylan Gabriel coming back to the stadium where he made his first collegiate start. Yeah, oh, look, that at one out. Ah. look at you! Whoa, Murph's working on storylines. Now we, we, can, um, we the only thing is we can't replicate Otis Anderson just just completely embarrassing an FAU defender like he did in that game. Remember that? He, that was fun. He did, he did kind of leave, yeah he did leave him picking up his jock. It was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, uh, I, and obviously, my interest with this game fully is is hinged around uh, who, you, who which UCF players don't play. And again, I, I oh I, boy, I, yeah, that's exciting yeah. bowl time, baby. Who's not playing? I mean, definitely. I mean, uh, obviously, if you are like uh, Richie Grant or Aaron Robinson, and you're a month out from the Senior Bowl. I get. I don't know what playing in this bowl game is going to do for you. Uh, so maybe they will play. I know Richie's a, a you know big time leader and a gamer and everything, but. 
I don't see the value in it if you want to, you know, if you're looking for the next level. So that's what I'm looking forward to most. I'm looking forward to seeing which players don't show up. Uh, thank you very Who's much. Not here. <laughs> if you're not here, raise your hand. You know, Lopez, we're both old enough to remember when we're like, oh my God, UCF is going to a bowl game. Can you believe this? Yeah, and it wasn't the Boca Bowl. Who the hell gets excited about Boca Raton? Like, unless you're a fan of the Golden Girls, maybe, or Terry Savalas. Hey, if you're and, a, you know, if, you know, if you're a if you're a South Florida UCF fan, you're pretty excited. You're going to get a chance to see your team. Uh, yeah, that's the way. Yeah, we want to beat up. Plenty, on there are plenty of graduates down in South Florida. Sure. Well, we'll find out. Uh, you guys enjoy the game. I'll be watching the basketball game. <laughs> Jeez Louise. All right. All right. So, th- yeah, thanks for, thanks for that. Thanks for that Debbie Downer of a segment there, Lopez. Really, pre- you hate everything. All right. Um, on that note, we're going to come back and talk about something that maybe Eric likes. I don't know. Um, men's basketball. Yeah. There we go. Now we're talking. Keeping Auburn at bay to start the season. And uh, what else uh, is on the horizon for Johnny Dawkins and his squad. More on that uh, and plenty more when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Stick around. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Let's switch over to men's basketball. Yes, indeed. Uh, UCF, well, we were supposed to start the season uh, on Saturday against Oklahoma, but then Oklahoma ended up, that game ended up getting postponed, officially postponed because of uh, COVID problems for Oklahoma. So UCF's opener was on Monday night against the Auburn Tigers. Uh, Bruce Pearl and company bringing, the, bringing his squad to town as they were on their way up from uh, Fort Myers where they were playing in a tournament. And UCF, even though this game was a real struggle in terms of shooting for both teams, the Knights got the win by eight, 63-55. Uh, some of the uh, highlights from this game in terms of uh, UCF's performances... Um, Dre Fuller played 37 minutes, uh, 13.7 rebounds, five assists, and three steals. Uh, Brandon Mahan really came on in the second half. I think when UCF r- tried to just put Auburn away, uh, mm-hmm. four of nine from the field. Even though he missed all three of his threes, he was four of four at the line, uh, 12 points to go with uh, two rebounds. Darren Green Jr. was uh, four of 13 from the field, 10 points. Um C.J. Walker came off the bench and played 31 minutes. Even though he didn't have a very good shooting night at 3 of 9, he recorded 9 points, pulled down 8 rebounds, uh, and I thought was very active on defense. Really, the entire team was very active. They they got 12 steals uh, for the game, and uh, Auburn, as a team, committed uh, 22 turnovers uh, to UCF's 19, but a lot of those turnovers were forced by UCF. Uh, in addition, Auburn only shot uh, 7 of 34 from three-point range. In the first half, by the way, Auburn was 8 of 32 from the field, 2 of 18 from three-point range, and 3 of 14 from the free-throw line. So they were really bad shooting. 32% for the game. UCF shot 36% for the game. Uh, and, then, and then Isaiah Adams made his debut. 4 of 6. I thought he was very. I thought he looked pretty good. A little... Um, uh, a, a little bit, uh, some freshman mistakes here and there, but I think those are things you can take care of. Um, nine points for him on the night. Now, uh, a couple of notices on this one. Um, Darius Perry did not play. Uh, he was a uh, scratch on the uh, game time roster. And also Moses Bull did not, uh, was also a scratch on the roster. But pretty much everybody else except for 
a couple of the uh, fresh, except for the freshmen, uh, uh, you know, got in and contributed. But uh, I was really impressed with the. Uh, now I did PA for the game, so I'm sitting up in section 103 above the fans, and so it's it, sometimes it's kind of tough to see things. That, like definitely a lot tougher to see certain things when you're up there than as, as opposed to if you're like on the scores table. Are you listening to this, Murph? He's complaining about being up there. How no, many I am years not complaining. There, I am Look. not. Listen, I am not <laughs> complaining one bit. I am happy to be in that. I'm happy to be in that place right there. And. And believe it or not, I was able to see some things a lot more clearly up there than I was able to down there. Like, but <laughs> from what I was able to tell, I I was really impressed with how composed this team was. I thought that they were the better prepared team. They were the better coached team. Uh, and the way that you knew that was they just kind of jumped out to this lead and just kind of kept Auburn at arm's length the entire game. Now, granted, Auburn didn't do themselves any favors by shooting so badly, but you know, part of that's Auburn and part of that's the defense, right? I thought defensively UCF was excellent. Um, and that's what led them to uh, to a victory against an admittedly inexperienced Auburn team. But that's still SEC talent out there on the floor. And uh, and UCF just took care of business. I don't know, Murph, what do you think? Well, uh, we should also mention the other people who didn't play in this game. So Sharif Cooper, who did not play in this game for Auburn, he's under NCAA investigation. He could probably go to the NBA after this year as a first-round pick. Um, so losing him, not having that point guard, obviously hurt Auburn. But then, to be fair, uh, UCF didn't have its point guard either. Darius Perry, the grad chancellor from Louisville, did not play in this game. According to Johnny Dawkins afterwards, uh, Darius is uh, fighting an injury uh, of, of unknown uh, cause or severity and, and basically just said he, we, he's back soon. I'm not sure what that means. We'll talk to him on Friday, most likely, see if we can get an update there. But uh, so it was interesting to see both teams sort of operate without their planned point guard. And for UCF, that meant a, a lot of Dre Fuller uh, and some Sean Mobley. Uh, I mean, some different – I think guys you would not usually see running the one, mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting some time there. And I thought Dre Fuller did a pretty decent job. I think that the three the, – well, there's a few things that stick out to me. One, this felt very much like a game that was like the first game of a year of the year. Uh, very not cohesive, very sloppy, a lot of mistakes on both sides. Auburn has played two games before this, but uh, man, oh man, they missed a bunch of easy layups inside. Well, not just the free throws they missed also and the, the three-pointers they missed, but man, in the first half especially, Auburn must have missed like five or six baskets within like three feet. Um, and so that was, that, that you know, that changes the entire game. And UCF, you had a lot of guys with C.J. Walker, especially Tony Johnson at times, just out of control. Guys trying to do too much. Um, you can certainly see the raw materials with C.J. Walker, his length, athleticism, some of his rebounds. I I'm pretty sure that if he was going, you know, man to man with a seven foot guy, uh, he he would outjump the guy. I mean, some yeah. of the rebounds were <laughs> Skywalker rebounds. He's the raw materials are there for C.J. to be great, um, but it's not fully formed. It's it's very it's very nebulous, kind of an amoeba right now. They need to sort of structure him okay. into something. I, I thought he uh, was I thought he was tight. During the game, I think he, I thought you know he looked like he was a little bit nervous. But what I was really impressed with was when the shots weren't falling for him, he relied on his defense and his rebounding. And yep. I don't, and and like you said, I, I the one play I, re, I think back to was in the second half. There was this one play where he rebounded a missed shot, and I, and he out jumped I think three Auburn Tigers for that board. Came back down with it and then laid it back up. I forget if he laid it back up and in or if he passed it back out for a three for somebody, but but. <clears throat> It was one of those 
wow plays where you were like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, I, we haven't seen a guy jump that high in a while. And uh, it was it was a really just one of the more amazing, I think it was probably the best athletic play of the night. And you could tell that you, you can, that you, like you said, he's a little bit on the medium rare side. But yeah. he's, you know, he, he's not rare, but he's medium rare. <laughs> and, but he'll be ready. He'll be ready. He's rare talent, but also sort of very rare raw game right now. It's very raw. Um, I thought what stood out to me is the perimeter defense. If you put out there and you can do this, you can put uh, – because Isaiah Adams looks like he can play defense right now. Oh, yeah. That's very – and so you put Dre Fuller at the one right now without Perry out there with Adams or Walker. You can play those guys two or three. You can play Walker at the four certainly. But you can put those guys at the one, two, three. There is a lot of ball-on-ball, man-on-man length there that's going to make it really difficult for backcourts. And then it's going to be even better when Darius Perry comes back, plays the one, everybody, everybody moves down a spot, probably to more natural, natural positions. And then you've got four guys who look like they could be terrors defensively. This team mm-hmm. defensively is going to be very good again. I think offensively, it's still going to struggle. Fans are going to complain again about – Johnny Dawkins' style of offense, but it is what it's going to be. Like, this team is going to be another first to 50 kind of team. Uh, I worry a little bit about if they can hit enough three pointers. Once one, you know, if they fall behind, do they have another guy besides Darren Green Jr. who they can depend on to hit a shot? I don't know that right now. Um, but I, I thought the defense looks great. I think the length is, is lives up to the billing. And there's talent here that is very far from being uh, any sort of complete product. And it's going to change. I mean, this 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 game by itself should get a grade of incomplete because I think Darius Perry changes a lot uh, of what we'll see in the future. Well, I, well, let's hope so because uh, even though the UCF is playing at Michigan in Ann Arbor Sunday at 4 p.m., that game is going to be on B- Big Ten Network. Um, Tony Johnson had to leave the game uh, against Auburn with an apparent injury. Um, yeah, Eric, and- Eric, Eric, uh, did any like or Jeff? You were there, Jeff. I watched this game on ESPN Plus. Yeah, I was. And I was. I did not see any particular play that was like, "Oh, Tony looks hurt." You know, I I, I didn't oh. even notice. It. And, and and to be honest with you, I didn't even notice that he wasn't playing, or that anything was amiss until ten minutes after the game. And I see him kind of, you know, wheeling himself off the floor on one of those carts that you know when you have a cast on. Yeah, yeah. So BJ was was using when he broke his foot too right ago. right it looks like it looks like a kid's tricycle but anyway it's it, it like i don't know what they call that thing but anyway um i was like wait a minute i, I didn't notice that <laughs> and why is tony you know limping off the floor on that thing with his foot up and uh so i, I don't know what happened it must have happened at halftime because i remember watching it and he was on the floor when they went to the, the break and then they came back out he wasn't on the bench and didn't come on the bench for a few more minutes, yeah, and then just sat at the I, end of the bench. I think it might have been around warmups, maybe even during the before the start of the second half. I wonder if that's Amazing. the time frame there. Like it had to have been because you're right; nobody picked it up on TV. And you know that he was playing well prior to that injury. He had eight points going in, and yeah. It's amazing, really, when you think about that win. You know, that's why I'm not going to judge this offense just yet because they literally won this game without a true point guard. Right. Which, yeah. Um, Really impressed me. In fact, Coach Dawkins said afterwards, talked about winning without a true point guard, as well as 
the debut of two of the more anticipated Knights debuts in program history and C.J. Walker and Isaiah Adams. Without a true point, I think our guys did a terrific job uh, trying to, you know, get us in our offense, trying to, you know, make sure they have eye contact with me to, to know what we're doing defensively. I thought they did a great job uh, considering it's not their normal roles. And that's how it's going to have to be. You know, guys are going to have to step up. Guys are going to have to be ready to play whatever position, you know, they're, they're called upon to play. And that, that's a sign of a good team. Coach, a lot of anticipation about C.J. Walker and, of course, Mr. Florida basketball and Adams. What did you think of both of their performances there? Really made some big plays for you throughout the game and, and get it contributing to the victory. You know, I thought they both were terrific. You know, I, th I thought they both were a little bit, you know, had a little jitters early on, like anyone would, sitting out about nine or ten months before the last time you had any kind of competitive play against someone else. And I thought they both kind of settled in and played some good basketball. You know, the thing about both of those players is they just make so many plays. They make some, they get their hands on so many balls offensively, defensively. And, uh, you know, they're easy to play with because they, they, they're unselfish basketball players. They're just looking to try to make winning plays. The, the best this offense had to show was how they closed out the first half. I think they were up 20 to 16. There was an under four timeout. At a timeout, they have, they have uh, a Tony Johnson dribble drive and dish out to C.J. Walker for a corner three. Which I thought at that time, at that time, considering how ugly the first half was, was probably their best offensive play of the half. After that, they had Tony Johnson hit a three from about 30 feet, which he took a couple of them and he made them. And I hope he doesn't do that much because he shouldn't take those shots. Uh, I, I know he made them. That's great. Please don't do that again. You're not going to make more of those shots. Uh, but at least he made it. A, a fantastic pass by Sean Mobley above the three-point line to a cutting uh, Dre Fuller for a layup at the rim. Those were, again, like those were like three or four possessions in a row where all that happened. And then you had the fourth charge of the first half, the second by Mobley. We were wondering about Colin Smith, who's going to pay all those charges. They, had, they <laughs> took four charges in the first half. Uh, so I, I thought the way they closed the first half out and the way they closed the game out with Brandon Mahan was probably the most impressive segment of basketball we saw in what was generally a kind of an eyesore of a game. Well, I, th I think that the, I, you know, Again, we just don't know what the team is really going to look like until Darius Perry gets out there. Um, yep. But if if this is any indication, it's that the defense is going to is going to drive the bus here. And yeah. um, and and in a way, it's kind of a return to like old school UCF, right? I mean, I'm used to UCF being a school being a, a defensive team uh, first and foremost, and. These guys can play, man. They, uh, they have length. I was really impressed with what Mobley did on defense. And and to be honest with you, he was kind of forced offensively into a position that I'm sure he didn't really like because he was I, – I, I think that we, they ended up kind of like putting him at point in the second half when um, when Tony went down and him and, and Mayhan kind of splitting it a little bit. But um, to kind of cobble together uh, – think about this. They kind of cobbled together a win against an SEC team. <laughs> I mean, they, you know – yeah, it's at home. Whatever. I mean, you, you got the W, and uh, and now they head to that road game against uh, against Michigan. We got one more bite. I want to play this is C.J. Walker um, after the game talking about his debut uh, in a UCF uniform. Well, seeing people when you look in the crowd, you see people that you're familiar with. You know what I'm saying? Um, I know they only had 25, percent but I, for the most part, I do see people I'm comfortable with. Uh, I just feel more comfortable at home working out with. You know what I'm saying? Like. Guys that I'm, I'm I'm comfortable with here. It's a it's a lot of new guys, but you know we get the job done. 
and being at home is just is, is just a plus being able to do that here right as opposed to you know on the other side of the country CJ, I know it's important for you to be back home, but can you elaborate a little bit more on your decision to transfer to UCF? I mean, I know Coach Dawkins recruited you all through high school, so I know I guess there might have been, uh, you know, you, you obviously had a little bit of comfort level with the staff. Can you kind of talk about the other reasons why you decided to transfer back home? For sure. I, I first came to transfer. Um, I didn't come to transfer. I came because the gym in Oregon was closed during Corona, and I had nowhere to work out. So I came over here just working out with uh, my coaches and uh, my, my high school gyms. And I just, you know, got a good feel for it after being here for a couple months. And um, I wanted to wait. I didn't want to make sure it was an emotional decision. I wanted to make sure it was really what I wanted. So my agenda wasn't even to transfer. It was really just to come out here to work out. But it was just something I felt going on. How do you evaluate your play in this first game? Um. I think I play with high energy. I feel like the uh, shots and stuff is going to come later on. But, you know, I'm a high energy guy, so I get myself going by going out there, getting rebounds. I think I have probably nine today. You know what I'm saying? And, and blocking shots, taking charges, like doing all the dirty work, and then everything else is going to come. So I'm not um, I'm not really too focused on much right now with the scoring. I'm just trying to get my team, you know what I'm saying, involved and in trying to just win games. And uh, I feel like I play real with some real high energy today. That's why I need to come with every day. So, hey, man, go 1-0, right? <laughs> so uh, UCF now heads on the road for Michigan on Sunday. Then they have nine days off until the following Tuesday, December 15th, when they actually open conference play at Houston. Uh, and then December 19th, that's a Saturday at Florida State. That's the last non-conference game before the next home game, which will not be for 20 days from now, at the time we're recording this, December 2nd, uh, against the Cincinnati Bearcats on a Tuesday, December twenty uh, second. By the way, props to the fans because I thought you know the the atmosphere in the building was kind of odd, and I think everyone was kind of like, "This is our first basketball game post COVID. Don't know what it's going to feel like." And I, I think that the fans also were kind of in the same position as the players were, like kind of feeling things out, not really sure how everything's going to work. It's not the same as it usually is. You know, what's our seats going to be like? And it kind of felt like. A one of those non-conference games over like winter break, like the band wasn't there. Um, you know, not as many fans as you would see. Not you know, not a very full student section. I think that's kind of what it felt like. But in that second half, when UCF when UCF kind of poured it on, I don't know, I don't want to say poured it on because it's not like they blew Auburn out. But um, when they put the game away, the intensity was there, and I think that that's going to crank itself back up when Cincinnati comes to town. So I was really. Um, it was a weird experience for everybody, but, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, hey, that's that's what this year is going to be all about. We're going to be all right. You know, we'll just take it one one day at a time. It's all right. One thing this uh, next game coming up that I, we, we, I've talked about the, the UCF length on defense on the perimeter. It's going to be a fantastic, it's going to be a very, very trying, challenging matchup this week with with Michigan. Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner, 6'7", 6'9", guards, combo guards, but still guards. They play outside the perimeter. Do, do, do you like UCF? UCF, I get their their, their length, but their length is going to be tested against against six seven six nine combo guards. What do you think, Eric? Three. This is going to be a this one's going to be a tough one, especially on the road up at Chrysler, right? I agree, uh, especially you know, and I think Murph nails it. I mean, Michigan is certainly going to be a tough matchup. You know, and again, we don't know what the situation is going to be with the point guard. That does worry me from an offensive standpoint. Um, you know, but you, you, I agree with you, Jeff. I think this defense is got length, versatility. I mean, I talked to Dre Fuller after the game about that, and he talked about this team has the athleticism, 
and the length, uh, and and really can really do a lot of mixed coverages, as you will, defensively. They could pick up a lot of space uh, on the court, and I think they're gonna get, they're gonna be in every game because of that. The question's gonna be the offense. Murph has brought up the questions he has, um, you know, and it starts with the situation with the point guard. I think I'm excited about Walker. Uh, I think you nailed it, Jeff, and how Walker played. I think he's going to get better. It's funny. He has Chad Brown's energy, and it's funny because I think he wears Brown at 21. He has Chad's Brown energy, but obviously with tremendous skills that Chad didn't have. That's what's So I think, yeah. to me, Walker's going to be like a double-double machine. And then Isaiah Adams, nine points and 14 minutes off the bench. I think yeah. he's the wild card of this team. He's got that knack to be a scorer. He's one of those guys that, hey, knows how to put the ball in the basket. He did that in high school. That's why he was Mr. Florida basketball. Mm -hmm. And they might need him to be that scorer off the bench, if not start, because that's going to be the question is who's going to be the scorer on a given night for this team? You know, Darren Green's their best shooter, but is he a scorer type? Brandon Mayhem was the star of the second half, but is he not? He's not really a true scorer. Uh, I think. Adams, they may need the scoring from Adams, you know, 10, 15 points a night to help the offense uh, until we know, you know, and again, we, we, I won't know too much about this offense until we get Darius Perry back and hopefully Tony Johnson back soon. Cause I, even though Tony's a little wild, like Murph talked about, he's also a guy that's capable of putting the ball in the basket as well. So I think that's the question, but this defense is going to be legit. Yeah. I was, I, I, the one thing I was really encouraged by with Isaiah was just how aggressive he was. Yes. Because it's really easy when you're a true freshman to just kind of like, I'm just going to drift a little bit in the game and see where I fit in. No, he the second he got into the game, he was aggressive at taking the ball to the basket, at shooting the ball. You know, they didn't always fall for him, but you know, he's going to I think we're going to have some really impressive nights for him. By the way, what? Oh, go ahead, Eric. Oh, by the way, yeah, the other don't forget we had the other freshman, Jamil Reynolds. Jamil Reynolds, yeah. Which kind of surprised me. I don't know, Murph. Were you surprised by that that they started him? I know you've been you've you know you asked uh, during the when we did our preview show last week. You asked about Jamil. Uh, I was surprised he started. I know he didn't get a lot of run, but that was fascinating to me that he got the start on opening right. night. Well, at, he got he got some opportunities when he was in there. I thought I was really impressed with his size. He he did not yeah. look like a he did not look like a freshman at all. He was he's a he's a big body to throw down there against. Uh, some of your bigger opponents. What do you think, Murph? Yeah, I think that was more. I, I wonder if 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 Darius Perry is at the one in this game. If, if everybody moves down a spot and they don't start Reynolds in this game, mm -hmm. uh, I wonder if they play Mobley at the five and, and everybody moves down. Uh, I could I could have seen that happening. Like they play they could they could have played Fuller at the three, kept Green at two, uh, and, and you know. So I don't know. But uh, I thought he was fine. He just got into foul trouble. He, you know, he looked like a yeah. freshman who was kind of over-aggressive. He got into foul trouble, so you didn't really see much of him. What I loved about Isaiah Adams, because he looked more composed and, more, and you could see like the natural talent there, when you see that from a freshman in his first game, it's great. But when you see that in a freshman in his first game, after having no spring or summer with the, with the team, he was not part of the team this summer. None of the freshmen were. They weren't able to really – you know, integrate them in the program with face-to-face -face contact. They weren't able to go run through like a lot of uh, of, of uh, full game scrimmages. They weren't. He wasn't able to be in the uh, strength the strength program. Yeah. Couldn't play much uh, pickup yet, in the facility either. You know, I mean. They... Right. So after all that, he comes out and looks like he's been here for two or three years already. 
that was I, I thought I thought yes I thought his performance was the most encouraging. I, I have a lot of a lot, a lot of good things to say about a lot of players from this game, but I thought what he showed in this game, especially right off the bat, was was probably the most positive development this team had. Yeah. All right. We've talked. We we, we projected way too much about the first of twenty three games already from this. So. Um, but I, so I didn't we didn't have sports for a long time. We we're, we're we're just excited we have sports. Fair point. And, and, other than football. Fair point. Uh, I will say, okay, Michigan coming up. We know their head coach is Juwan Howard. All right? Um, longtime Miami Heat personality, Juwan Howard. Uh, some other guys, by the way, Eric, some other guys on the Michigan staff who are familiar names. Associate head coach, Phil Martelli. Former St. Joe's head coach. Yeah, yep. really that, good, good hire for Juwan to have a guy with experience as a head coach like yeah. Phil, who's been successful at St. Joe's, very really, smart move for Juwan. Remember that that season at St. Joe's where they almost went undefeated. I think they made it to the Elite Jameer Eight. Nelson, Jameer Delonte Nelson, Delonte West, yeah, lost Oklahoma State in the Elite Eight. Great game, great right. game. Um, and then uh, and then actually just hired. Uh, uh, I think just prior to this year, Howard Isley. Remember Howard Isley, former BC Eagle. Yep, and a longtime uh, member of the Utah Jazz. So uh, how so you know an NBA. NBA talent for a number, actually a number of players. Wow, he played with a bunch of teams, all virtually all of them in the West. <laughs> he he didn't play in New York for the time, but he played with. Isn't a guy like Howard Isley like it, it, some of these guys who bounce around from team to team? They always seem to bounce around to the same teams, right? Minnesota, San Antonio, Utah, Dallas, Phoenix, the LA Clippers, and Denver. <laughs> That's wild. It's great. It's gonna be, it's gonna be cool to see this. I'm looking forward to seeing how UCF matches yeah. up with Michigan. I think this is their, you know, if you if you kind of ranked the Michigan, Houston, Florida State, which is the next three games scheduled, um, which, by the way, I mean, that's pretty darn good. Uh, I think this might be their best shot. I don't like the matchup against Houston on the road. Uh, Houston looked fantastic beating Texas Tech. And then Florida State at Florida State. Murph, I know you watched, you know, we're recording this Wednesday night. Florida State had their opener against North Florida uh, they were on, and, and that's going to be a tough matchup for UCF because Florida State has just as many, if not more, bigs than UCF. They've got a lottery pick on their roster, and they've got they've just they're, they're just relentless defensively. If you, I mean, that's going to be a vicious game in Tallahassee there on the 19th. Yeah, and the lottery pick is MJ Walker, uh, who's a six-five guard. Uh, yeah, I, well, again, UCF. I don't want to say UCF has size. They don't have a ton of size. They have a guy like Avery Diggs, who's like almost seven feet. And that's where I think you'll see Avery Diggs play most of his minutes in a, in a game like Florida State because you need to combat that pure size that Florida State bring, brings with, brings at you. Whereas, you know, Avery didn't play, I think, more than 15 seconds in this game against Auburn. Uh, but what Yusef has is length. Like, C.J. Walker isn't the tallest guy in the world. I think he's 6'8". But he's, he must have like a 7'1 wingspan. I mean, the guy the guy is just – the guy the guy is a uh, – um, you know, he's just amazing. So I'll be, it'll be interesting to see them really match up against really taller teams that FSU is going to bring toward them and, and really toward Michigan is going to bring toward them too. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Michigan, Florida state. I, it, I'm very yeah. fascinated to see how they match up there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Michigan, uh, the game up in Ann Arbor. Um, oh shoot. I lost my schedule there. There it is. Uh, so you want to know UCF nights four o'clock on Sunday, Big Ten Network at the Chrysler Center. Yes, I got a true, I got a true false question for both of you here. Okay, true or false? 
This is the first ever appearance by a UCF sports team on the Big Ten Network. True or false? I'm going to say false. If it was was false, it wouldn't be interesting. So I'm going to say it's true. Uh, No, this is false. This is not the first time a UCF has shown up on the Big Ten Network. Jeffrey, you got that right. Do you know the other time that a UCF team played on the Big Ten Network? I want to say it's either softball or baseball. No. It was the 2013 game at Penn State when UCF beat That's right. Bill O'Brien and Penn State. Yeah. That's there you right. Go. Okay. So hopefully we hopefully well, That we game was on the Big 10 network. I, I wow, I'm yes, surprised. I thought it was on I thought it was on like ESPNU or something like that or something. Nope, Big 10 network. I think Derek Mason or Matt it was either Matt Millen or Derek Mason was the analyst for that game with mm. uh I believe uh Kevin Kugler. And uh, UCF, that was a great game. That was a huge win, a very underrated win. Remember in 2013, right. you know, that was a Bill O'Brien. And uh, I think, uh, was it Hackenberg, the freshman at that year? I think Christian Hackenberg, that's right. Yeah. Might have been. Um, and they had a, you know, they, they had a great receiver there at Penn State that's in the NFL now. See if you, I'll give you a second. There you go, Murph. There you go. <laughs> uh, but UCF played great on the road. It was over 100,000 fans. I remember Jerry O'Neill would tell me that's one of the loudest places he's ever been to as a sideline reporter. And uh, really helped jumpstart that 2013 season as far as marquee wins. Part of the, some of the exciting games that year. So, yeah, good memories. Well, it's going to be loud in Chrysler too. Well, maybe not as loud as we're used <laughs> to because of, no. No. What am I saying? No. Are they even going to have fans up at up in Ann Arbor? Uh, well, I saw I them play so. Oakland. I think it's family relatives, basically. Oh, okay. Wow, man. Hey, man. If you get if you get some loud grandmas out there, some loud moms, that, that thing goes loud in a hurry. Let me tell you something. There's nothing. There are very few things in this world louder than a sports mom. Absolutely. As, I, I would know. I'm married to one. It's like, oh man. It's it's like I didn't. I didn't know, babe. I didn't know that you were that involved in this. So anyway. <laughs> anyway, let's let's take a break before I get in trouble and someone gets back That's to me about this. Hey, yeah. Good idea. Uh, <laughs> we get back. We'll talk about the women's basketball team. We got a win in their first game of the season. Uh, against a uh, power conference opponent. We'll talk about uh, the UCF women's hoops and an impressive win at that uh, when we get back. This is the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian, uh, as we wrap up here, let's. we, we wanted to uh, pay homage to UCF women's hoops for their huge victory over Virginia the day before Thanksgiving. Um Started out trailing this game 13-5, to and then all of a sudden they just turned the Jets on against the Cavaliers. Outscored them 28-10 to in the second quarter. 27-11 to in the second half. So by my math, that's 50, what is it, 55-21? to Yeah, 55-21 in the last three quarters of this game. 60-34 to the final. They just, boy, they just took Virginia behind the woodshed in this game. Um, uh, Virginia made only four shots in the entire second half. Four shots from the field. Uh, meanwhile, for UCF, uh, some surprising contributions. Um, uh, Diamond Battles actually led UCF in scoring with 17 points, seven assists, and five steals. Cortesia Sanders uh, also uh, contributed with five steals of her own, plus nine points and five rebounds. Uh, Masani Kaba had a bit of a rough night, uh, in the low post. She was only one for eight. Um, but, uh, she was picked up by, uh, Brittany Smith, who scored seven and added, 
uh, added uh, three rebounds and two blocks. And then coming off the bench, how about this? Alicia Lewis, transfer from Syracuse University. She's she's originally from uh, from the state of Delaware. 29 minutes off the bench, 5 of 5 from the field, including 2 of 2 from the from three-point line, from the three-point line, 13 points, 6 assists, 3 rebounds. Uh an impressive performance uh for somebody who didn't get much PT at Syracuse. Now what she and the other big transfer came in Asia Todd. Now Todd got the start and Asia was a was an A-Sun uh, all-freshman selection last year, but she uh Played 10 minutes, only made one shot. Um, but Alicia Lewis comes off the bench and puts on a bit of a show, Eric Lopez. I thought that was a really impressive performance. And uh, she contributed uh, mightily as the uh, second night in double figures to this uh, blowout victory over Virginia. You watched this game pretty closely. What would you think? Uh, she was huge. What an impact. And what's funny, her, Lewis, and Todd, it was announced prior to the game that they were ruled eligible by the NCAA. We didn't, you know, we didn't even talk about them on our last episode when it yeah. came to the season preview because we kinda, didn't know if they're going to be eligible. Yeah, we kind of mentioned them, but it was still up in the right. air. It was a big question mark as to whether or not they would play. Correct. And boy, what a dividend. And she really was the spark plug when, you know, they were scuffling in the first quarter. Uh, we'll hear from Coach Abe here in a second talking about that. But, you know, they had some nerves couldn't find some offense but then she came into the game man and she hit some shots she's got a beautiful mechanics of her shooting there really reminds me of zai lewis shooting remember zai and it's yeah. funny they both were she both were 23 and i thought she brought spark and was really great chemistry with diamond battles on the backcourt because it allowed diamond to play off the ball and i thought it really got the offense re- really going and then defensively they just swarmed on virginia they figured him out that zone defense looks nasty, uh, Jeffrey and Murph, because they've got length. We talked about the men's with length. They've got length there with Tay Sanders, who might be maybe one of the best defenders, individual defenders in the country, because she has tremendous length. They have size. They have length there. That zone, it reminds me, Jeffrey, I'm curious what your thoughts on this. This zone might be the best zone in women's basketball it, it reminds me a lot of the Jim Beheim, the you know, back when Syracuse was really Syracuse, not the recent Syracuse teams. Like the really, like you know, the national <laughs> what an title indictment. team. Wow, <laughs> am I wrong? You tell. You're the orange guy. Uh, there. They, they, they. Uh, yeah, well, the one thing I will say, as as somebody who follows Syracuse, having gone to graduate school there, the one thing that's never really left them is the defense and how committed they are to the two-three right. zone. Um, it's the offense that's left them, but that's that's far afield. I will say though that UCF does play this that zone scheme that Coach Abe runs is they are locked in. I mean that's a and oh. it, it's it kind of does remind me of okay. So do you remember there was a there was a commercial for like watching the Final Four or whatever for like you know on something and they somehow they isolated the five Syracuse players on defense and they were just. It was actual game footage, but you just saw the five of them just kind of moving yep. around, and you yep. could, and you could actually see in this commercial. It was so weird. Somebody find this on YouTube and send this to me because it's really amazing. Those five players moving in perfect unison, uh, yes. and and it was really remarkable to watch. And when you watch UCF play defense again, we talked about how good the men's team is on defense. The women's team on defense, they're so locked in. They just play. They really are five players playing as one on D, and I think that's where. Um, you mentioned how important Diamond Battles has become. Boy, has she gotten good. 
on defense, man. I'll tell you, she's yep. uh, she should you know it, it. I don't think they have an all defensive team, but if they if they did, she should definitely be on there. Well, her and Sanders, Sanders. Yeah. I mean, they they, they were. I mean, they just swarmed the ball, ball pressure, and Virginia just had no answers and. Uh, you know, they just swarm and kept them in the defense, and then offensively they got going. I mentioned the chemistry, Lewis and Battles. I think that could be a difference maker for this team this season. Mm-hmm. I asked Diamond Battles about that right after the game, and she talked about the chemistry with Lewis as well as what she worked on this offseason, knowing that this year she would have a huge role, a bigger role at UCF. Um, they're great, some great uh, players. Um Lish, um, Lewis, um, she's a great, she's a great point guard. Um, our chemistry, I guess I would say from us both being point guards, we know how to play with each other. Um, I know how she likes to, um, maneuver on the court. She know how I like to maneuver. So playing off the ball, it really, it really helps out a lot, you know, to hit more shots. She can hit shots. She can make passes. She can run a play. She's a, she's a very calm point guard. She's very poised. She makes everything run. So it's very great having her as, you know, a backup point guard or, you know, coming off the bench, she's a very good spark. So it's great having them too. Diamond, talk about how, what you've worked on your game leading up to this season. You knew obviously with KK graduating that you were going to have a bigger role. Uh, just talk about the, the role you had, because you were really dynamic I don't, on both sides of the ball like you always were, but off the ball, with the ball. I mean, you kind of have a lot of versatility. Just talk about your overall game, what you've worked on to step up in this season. I've worked on catching and shooting. <laughs> Just catching and shooting and catching and shooting because I tend to like to pass. So I have to, you know, step up in a new role and catch and shoot and catch and shoot if I'm open. So that's what I've really been working on, you know, um, just catching and shoot, catching and shoot. You know, if it's not there, then, of course, you know, being versatile, knowing how to pass, pull up jumper, looking for open people. But just very, you know, stay in stone on catching and shooting. That was Diamond Battles after the win. And. Again, you got two point guards basically with Lewis and Diamond. And Diamond, right there, you heard her talk about how she's really worked on her shooting, you know, step up, you know, shoot because she knows she can play off the ball and get some shots. Right. That's what's going to be work. Because teams are going to try to play off of her. And and she admits she likes to pass. That's actually her problem. She's too unselfish. She likes to pass. And the coaches want her to shoot more. And now with Lewis, who can shoot, and Todd, who's capable of shooting, that's going to provide some of that offense that we were wondering about in the perimeter because teams are going to double-team inside early. They're not, you know, UCF's got size inside, and Virginia did that early. They were double-teaming them, and the guards stepped up for UCF and really got an impressive win for Coach Aben, her opener, who said after the game, hey, look, it was a little rough at the beginning, but uh, we we, we kind of stepped it up there and uh, played good defense, and uh, yeah, we got some nice additions. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously it's the first game. I think everybody, both teams, I think had a lot of jitters. They came at us really hard, in which we knew they, they would, um, especially number one on their team. Um, is Carol Miller, she's, she, she was phenomenal starting the game for them, and their two post players are playing really hard. And But I knew that they were a little low in the post, so I really wanted to go at them and get them in foul trouble a little bit. And we did that. We accomplished that. And then – after that first quarter where we calmed down a little bit, I kind of got a bit of better feel. My coaches got a better feel for what their tendencies were, like who was going to shoot the three, who was going to drive really hard. Um, and last year, number one played the four a lot for them. So now she was on the perimeter driving and, you know, being really aggressive. So I, I 
kind of changed up our footwork on her when they were closing out and just said back back off like don't guard her at the three-point line just because she don't give her some space because she wants to get in that paint and drive really hard and you know they did a good job of adjusting and especially some of the, the new kids you know so I'm very proud of them defensively you know just being smart um, I was happy that Moss and Jan- um, Moss and uh, Brittany didn't get in foul trouble that was one of our keys that we got to make sure that they are not getting foul trouble. So that really helped us too. So we could rotate all of the po- posts, especially in the second quarter. Of course, Alyssa uh, Lewis and Asia Todd, we find out they're eligible to play and they, boy, made an immediate impact. And Alyssa in particular, really, I thought brought the spark to your offense in that second quarter, reminded me a little bit of another 23 you had in Zai Lewis. Uh, and she and Diamond really had great chemistry. You were able to play Diamond off the ball. Just talk about those two what they will bring to the table and the impact they had, because I thought they were tremendous in their contributions and look, look pretty good. Yeah, I think Lish was a surprise to the other team because, you know, we didn't know that they were going to get cleared, and luckily they got cleared. And so I think that with Diamond and Lish, I think it was great that Diamond had to play, you know, those all those years with KK, and she's okay with that. And, and so with somebody as an upperclassman in Diamond, that a newcomer – comes into the game and the newcomers wondering how diamond's going to feel about, you know, her playing the point diamond's been like 100% supportive, 100% pumping Lish up because diamond knows that takes pressure off her to have to, you know, call all the plays, handle the balls, do the shot clock plays. It actually gives diamond more opportunities to shoot the ball as you saw. So I think those two are always going to be able to play off each other like that. I mean, and I think it's a blessing that, you know, diamond got to play with KK for so long. Do you feel like, in a way, maybe that your defense is kind of ahead? I know it's just one game, but thirty you forced 31 turnovers. You scored 28 points off of them. I remember a year ago with last season's team, you were frustrated with your defensive intensity. There seemed that right there from the tip, you had the intensity. There was communication. I know it's one game, but do you feel like your defense maybe is maybe even ahead of where you thought they would be, considering you're kind of playing catch-up with everything going on? Yeah, well, I think Diamond and Tay and Britt and Moss are, yes, and – and destiny, you know, and then here, here comes all the new people. So if we, we have those four starting for us and now the starting lineups could change a little bit, but I guarantee for this whole year, those four are going to be, you know, the ones that are starting and playing. And, and so when I subbed, I really didn't sub too many of those out. I would sub one player and a new person would come in. I kept, you know, when I sub Lishan, I kept Tane Diamond in. If I subbed Anna in, you know, I kept Tane Diamond in. And uh, I think there was only one point that I had really two new people at the guard spot in at one time. But the posts are very seasoned. So, I mean, Janae knows how to play. Destiny knows how to play. Moss knows how to play it. Um, and um, Brittany knows how to play it. So it's just the new guards coming in that I'm rotating a little different. And they're going to get better. They're going to get way better, right? But – we're fortunate enough and knock on wood that no everybody stays healthy. We're going to have those four pretty much starting the whole, the whole time. All right. So that was coach Abe there with, uh, as I talked to her after the game uh, against Virginia there. And I thought all in all, it was a success. Uh, you know, that's a huge win. You beat Virginia. Obviously Virginia's kind of in a rebuild with Tina Thompson as the head coach. They lost about 80% of their team from last year. So they're young. We're going to learn a lot about this team coming up. Friday night when they go to LSU. That's going to be a really good game there. And that's going to be, this is going to be a daunting task. LSU's got size. That's an NCAA tournament team. They're off to a slow start, but they played a very good BYU and West Virginia team. So I would dismiss the record uh, being 0 2 start. Don't read too much into that. 
It's going to be interesting there at the Maravich Arena. And they're going to deal with LSU size. They got a center in Ifua, who's 6'5", is a great shot blocker. So it's going to be interesting how the UCF bigs, Brittany Smith, and, you know, how they match up with someone like Aufua, who's a tremendous defensive player yeah. for LSU. And they got a great guard at Pointer, who's an all-SEC player. So the, the, the level goes up a, a notch going up at, at LSU. And then after that, they got to go to against Florida Gulf Coast, who shoots a 1,000 threes and uh, can play <laughs> with anybody. They're an NCAA tournament team, too. So it's not going to get easier for Coach. They know that. But it's a good start to get a, that first win against in, in dominant fashion. This defense might be her best yet because they're a much more athletic version playing her system. That's what's the scare. And I think that, again, that's going to why they're going to win a lot of games this year. Interesting uh, point to make. Last year, the last RPI of the season, UCF finished 37th. Florida Gulf Coast finished 36th, who you mentioned they'll be playing after LSU, and LSU finished 35th. So back to wow. back to back in last year's RPI. So these are teams. Te- Where was great, Georgia last Tech? Year. Were they up? They were up there Georgia too, right? Georgia Tech. They were the, uh, no, they uh, they might have had a bad RPI, but I remember Charlie Cream had them in the bubble. Uh, but they might have had. They might have been the team that had a bad RPI, but had a you know, we're kind of in the seventy nine was their RPI. Last yeah, year. they were the team that had some quality wins, but some bad losses. But they mm-hmm. were. I remember Charlie had them in the bubble. Uh, but that's gonna be a, that's a daunting task. But that's how Coach Abe wants it. Um, and I think we'll see how this team kind of steps up. And again, it was really a positive to see Lewis provide some of that scoring and running the offense and the chemistry with Diamond. That really blew me away. And uh, I think that's some optimism as far as the backcourt scoring. But obviously, they're going to get tested here against LSU on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's. And uh, by the way, that game, uh, is that going to be on TV too, Eric? Yeah. SEC Network Plus. SEC Network Plus. Um, now, I be- you know who did the LSU game last week? And I don't think he's calling it this weekend, but it's your old buddy that uh, you worked with in Clearwater, your old broadcast partner. All right. Garrett Wolford, then, right? Yeah. yeah, he did the game last week on the radio because the the normal radio voice for LSU is Patrick Wright, but he was doing men's basketball. So he got to do the games there. They were in Vegas, uh, so that's not a bad spot. I don't think he was there. I think he was in studio. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure if he's calling the game this weekend on the SEC Network Plus or it's going to be Lynn Rollins or Patrick Wright. But they're all good broadcasters. And uh, so I'm looking forward to it. I've been to the Maravich Arena. I've been to that camp. It's a beautiful arena. Uh, you got the, the, you know, the really the up there that the rafters, Shaquille O'Neal, Pete Maravich, beautiful setting. So I'm looking forward to this game and, and a great job by Coach Abe scheduling this game. And she talked about it. Remember, we aired it last week. This was already in the schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this was not a result of, hey, we're looking for games and stuff. They just they, they tweaked the schedule. But it sounds like this will be a home and home with LSU. Like LSU will be back here next year, which will be kind of exciting. And that's, yeah. again, credit to Abe and Dawkins for getting these home and homes. That's the thing that's been really remarkable is they, they're getting home and homes because you know this for a long time, you know, UCF basically had to go on the road if they wanted to play a big-time opponent and, yeah. not, and not get a home game out of it. By the way, a lot easier to do that in, in basketball, you know, given the whole situation, of course, you know, having to deal with the net rankings and all that and the RPI than it is in football, right? Um, sure, you're but, not really but scheduling things did- years out in advance like you are there. No, but basketball for a long time couldn't get teams to come here. Yeah. Uh, now, well, I mean, at sudden, the time, I think it was because you know it, it was considered you know UCF was not considered good enough, right? Correct. I mean, they, they, it was right. it, 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 playing UCF would hurt those teams' RPI or net ranking. Now it doesn't. You know, correct. now now it helps, yeah. and that's 
That's why, you know, it's it's interesting how it's the reverse of football, right? Yeah, I mean, again, and it gets credit to the two coaches building the program up and being and being able to schedule games and being able to play, hey, we're playing anybody home and homes and things like that. It's a tremendous credit to both of them, and it's a good start for the women, and uh, we'll see how they do against LSU. It's interesting because South Florida, Jeffrey, played number four-ranked Baylor mm-hmm. Tuesday night, and and gave him a scare. It was that Baylor ended up winning by only six, 68, 62. So South Florida looks legit. And if UCF can put a good performance here against LSU, maybe beat them or something, that would be huge for the league uh, from that standpoint, you know, in the post UConn era in women's basketball, that would be huge. Yeah. Again, Friday, December 4th, this coming Friday, 7 PM on sec network plus UCF at LSU. All right. Uh, let's wrap this thing up because, uh, you know, again, we're, we're coming out of Thanksgiving. You know, it's get, it's cold out here. It's starting to feel like the winter. It's in the 40s tonight here in Central Florida. And but we're, I, I know I love this. Time. I love this time of year. It's really fantastic. But what do you guys got uh, coming up this week? Because we got we got a lot of, you know, kind of post football stuff we got to talk about. You know, maybe some, you know, we'll be following what bowl UCF goes to if we hear about this week or maybe sometime later. Uh, Murph, I know you'll be keeping track of personnel, too, right? Very much so. Uh, maybe some other guys, maybe declaring. So, you know, like kind of like how Marlon declared. Yeah. We have other this, guys. If you if you leave now, is it a de- is it a declaration or is it an opt out? No, no, no. It's a thank you. It, no, not an opt out. Like no, just I, I hate using that because now it feels like they're they're it feels like they're just sort of it feels like, yeah. There's kind of yeah yeah. It does kind of feel like opt out is pretty close to bailout, right? You know. It's. It, yeah, and that we and we don't want to give that sort of connotation, but that's the way it just sort of sounds like. Uh, but it'll be like, let's see if other guys issue like thank you letters, like Marlon issued his thank you statement, uh, and I'm sure we could see a few more. And like we mentioned very quickly earlier in the show, we're only two weeks away from the early signing period. Um, Are you wow. serious? Oh my uh, god! So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Uh, I know Jeff's a big fan, big big fan. Oh god! Uh, and I think I'll take that week off. Before we know it, we will uh, be playing in a bowl game. And then, obviously, we'll be talking to Johnny Dawkins on Friday. Plenty to ask him, certainly, about just the aftermath of this first win, but more, more importantly, the uh, health of his entire point guard position. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, we're going to need somebody back there to play the one. Eric, what do you got? Yeah, well, right now on the website, you could uh, see right now some of the current articles there up there. we got the basketball recap. We've got, obviously – Bowl projections, me and Andrew, so we're on top of that. We'll keep you updated as we hear more and then kind of update the bowl projections, not only for UCF, but for the American. And uh, obviously, we got up some videos up on our YouTube page. Make sure you subscribe to that. Like us there. Subscribe. Uh, we'll have some content. Who knows? if Murph and I may even go up there after the Michigan game, You know, depending on how that goes. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think, Murph? I mean, look, unless they get trucked by 40, which isn't going to happen with this defense. I mean, Lily. <laughs> For, for UCF to lose by 40, they're going to have to, like, score 20 points. So that's not going to happen. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely open to that. I would love to, Eric, as I, I'm i going to be probably split-screening <laughs> our our video with the NFL Red Zone. But, you know, we got to do what we got to do. Got to uh, do what you got to do, you know. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to have that. And I'm also working on an article. Is UCF South Florida not a TV draw anymore? That's a little. That's a well, little and one of them is not very good. No, <laughs> I mean, don't spoil I my article. It. I mean, man, 
that's not really a spoiler, Eric. I'm just trying to I, tell you. I will make I will make the case there are two other games that really are now UCF's real rivals in football, and it's not the one in Tampa. I want to send a special shout out before we go to Jeremy Brenner, who's just been killing it with our newsletters every every weekday. Uh, and also he's got the latest alumni report up there where he takes a look at the uh, UCF football alumni and how they performed in the NFL. And we also got a really – actually, all right, Eric, you alerted me to this, and I want to talk about this real quick. So so first of all, I wanted to uh, also give a shout-out to Sarah Fuller from uh, Vandy, the first woman to play in a power conference football game when she suited up for uh, Vandy, making uh, making history this past weekend. But it got us thinking, um, you know, there was another UCF soccer player who was pretty good back in the day. Like, did anyone did, did anyone consider her for a kicking job? Well, lo and behold, you reached out to Michelle Akers, and uh, who we remember we interviewed her over the over the That's summer. That's right. She, and you she's can listen a friend to that of the podcast. show. Friend she's of the a friend show. Of the show. Yep. By the way, the most amazing interview I've ever done in my life. Awesome and person, Murph. Awesome person. You got me. Love Michelle Akers to death. We will we are we we stand Michelle Akers. And it turns out that she revealed to you and actually and, and we found out some other information a little bit later that she tried out or or had an opportunity to try out for the Dallas Cowboys as their yes. place kicker, right? Yeah, cuz I asked her cuz you asked the question, right? Like you know, who would be a UCF soccer player that could would have kicked for UCF, right? So right. I, one of the people I reached out to is Michelle Akers. Because my my initial thought is like, well, it's Michelle Akers, but what do I know? Let me just ask her. And she's like, well, it's funny you bring that up because I try, almost tried out the Cowboys. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, and it turned out to be true, right? And yeah. It was, it was, and then she talked about that experience. She didn't go through with it. I mean, she kicked around and they offered her to go with them to preseason and training camp and stuff, but she did because she wanted to play soccer. By the way, that turned out pretty well, too. So, uh, yeah. But in the end, she, it worked she, out. <laughs> yeah. But you, you, and then you found out more info about that because there was articles about it and everything. Yeah. So she was, uh, the article's up on blackandgoldbanneret.com. So she was originally contacted by this guy named Jim Masson, who is a, a chiropractor in Fort Worth, um, who contacted TCU's head coach at the time, a guy named Dave Robinson. And Dave Robinson, you know, and he was like, could, are there any women's college soccer players you think could probably try out for the NFL to be a kicker? And he's like, there's only one person in the world who can do it, and it's Michelle Akers at Central Florida. So Masson calls her up, and she's and she tried out with, uh, or, or she worked out initially with a former TCU kicker named Bill Adams, and she was, she said she hit, she was hitting from 52, and I love this quote that she said, she's like, so I went out to Texas and I was kicking field goals. They were so easy. In fact, here's the. I'll go ahead and play the uh, play the clips from this interview. We saw we got this interview from um, a podcast from uh, Fubo Sports, uh, Christian Polanco and Alexis Guerreros. Um, their their podcast is called The Cooligans. Think Hooligans, but with a C at the beginning. The Cooligans. It's a soccer show, and they interviewed Michelle over this past summer and asked her about this, and this was Michelle's uh, answer to it. Yeah. So my, my story was this agent, a random agent contacted me and was like, Hey, I think girl, a girl could kick for the NFL. I was like, well, of course they could. Okay. So he's like, come out to Texas. And, um, 
let's see if you can kick some field goals. So I, I was like, all right. So I, I just graduated from college. Um, I was planning on going overseas to play professionally um, to, you know, better my soccer career. Um, and so this was like 90, 89, 90. Um, and so I went out to Texas and was kicking field goals. It was so easy. So I was off the ground. I, c- I couldn't kick off a tee. Well, um, I, c- I could have learned, but it was off the ground. So I was, I, I didn't miss. I just didn't miss. Amazing. And so I went out to 52 yards and then, you know, I was like, okay, then that's good. So then he had me go out to LA to kick with this uh, kicking coach. His name is Ben Agajanian, who was a kicking coach for the Cowboys. And um, I, he had these little camps. And so I went out and I kicked with him with these other guys um, who wanted to be in the NFL kicking and stuff. And so he told me, look, I can get you into the Cowboys training camp. Um, do you want to go? And I said, I said, no, because I, I want to be a soccer player. So I, you know, then I, then I went home. Okay. <laughs> so that's how it was. So I never got to get on the field in pads or anything like that. And, to be honest, you know, those guys are massive. One, you know, they could just be like, ping, and I would have flown, uh, you know, into the crowd and be, you know, broken into a million pieces. So there would have been, I don't know, a long discussion about what, how that was going to happen, et cetera. But I definitely think a, a female can do it. Um, it's just the, you know, the side part about what if she takes a hit, is she's going to be a, a goner. Dude, isn't Michelle just the best? She's like, yeah, of course I could, of course I could make a fifty-two yard field goal. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> it's amazing. I don't doubt her. I don't, I don't doubt, doubt her. her. I don't doubt she could probably make one now. From 52. I wish she was around in two thousand five. If she was around in 05 and we would have had her on the football team, we would have won that Hawaii Bowl <laughs> instead of that stiff Matt Prater. I'll tell you that. It's rather oh, Matt Prater. Gosh. oh my god, Eric! Not that I'm still bitter about that Hawaii Bowl. Well. Good Lord. It's funny. So she, so she, so she had an opportunity to actually to wrap it up. She had an opportunity to try for the Cowboys. Like she said, she's she said no. I want to go into soccer. Interestingly enough, the Cowboys sucked at kicker for the next four years. Even though they were winning Super Bowls, they could not find a kicker. And uh, it's just it's just one of those interesting like uh, you know a butterfly flaps its wings in somewhere you know somewhere else. Like if if she made a different decision, like yeah, I'll try it. Like how that could have worked out because the Cowboys they did they did not have a kicker they they ran through all kinds of really fun uh, early '90s kicker names Murph Roger Ruzek, uh, Ooh, Roger Ruzek I uh, remember him Louis, yeah. Luis Zendejas who's the brother of uh, Tony Zendejas Ken yeah. Willis Lynn Elliott before they finally settled on Eddie Murray Chris Boniol was out there for a while it was it was uh, it was quite disastrous for the Cowboys at kicker I still think I. Michelle Akers could have definitely outkicked all those guys, except for maybe Eddie Murray, who who, who kicked for like twenty five years in the NFL. And she would have been successful, right? She That's would have been the great yeah. one. She would have been successful, being the competitor that she was. There's no doubt in my mind she would have been successful at that, and probably would be our pick, right? Like if we had to pick a UCF soccer player, hey, no doubt. we need you to kick a field goal. Who would you pick? It's got to be her. Didn't uh, now, now you uh, you also reached out to uh, Amanda Cromwell? Is that too, is that right too? I did. I reached out to her, asked her about during her run, who would she have picked uh, as a UCF soccer player if like one of the UCF coaches, whether it be George O'Leary or Mike, hey, we need a kicker. Who yeah. would you recommend? And she said Bree Schooley. 
uh, Brianna Schooley, who played there for yeah. her, I believe it was that 2009-2010 range there, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it was... Uh, uh, so, um, I... I yeah, one of the things we're going to do, by the way, we got to do this. When we get Coach Sahadak next time on the show, probably in January, fingers crossed, uh, as we get ready for this equinox that is spring, we mm. got to ask Coach Sahadak about this. We got to ask her who on her, uh, the UCF, all the players she's had at UCF, who would she pick to be a kicker? And does she think she could have been a place kicker? I, I want to know. Mm. That's one of the things we got to save that uh, there because I'm kind of intrigued by that. So, mm. because I think Michelle Akers. There's no doubt she could have kicked for UCF in the late 80s, early 90s. I think she could have kicked for the Cowboys. And I don't know Brianna Schooley, but I do remember. But, uh, yeah, apparently from what I, Coach – I remember I remember Brianna because she went, to, uh, she went to Douglas High School at the same time that my sister went to Douglas High School. There you go. And um, so, so I do remember I do remember Bree. She was an outstanding athlete and a powerful leg, maybe the most powerful leg that we had there since Michelle Akers. So I think that's probably why Amanda picked her. So anyway. So, yeah, I, so, yeah, we're, so we got to do that. When we get Coach Sahedek on, that's one of, the, one of our uh, burning questions. Definitely. We gotta, so. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. Uh, don't forget to follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And, of course, Black and Gold com. If you subscribe to this show, awesome. Please tell a friend. Don't be afraid to uh, – uh, give us a rating, give us a comment on whatever podcast platform of your choice, especially if you're listening to us via Apple iTunes. That helps us out tremendously because we want to keep moving up the chain of UCF podcasts. We want anybody who searches for a UCF podcast on iTunes or Spotify or whatever to find us. So whatever platform you listen to, please like and comment and tell a friend to subscribe because that really does help us out because we love talking about UCF. You know, you know We know you love hearing about UCF. So... Um, Please help us out. You don't, you don't even have to really listen to the show. You can just sort of download. Yeah, like, I mean, comment. yeah, I mean, the shows are long enough. Like, I mean, you can just, you know, hey, these guys are great. It's fantastic. No, no, seriously. Like, yeah. listen to our or show, just, please. you know, a lot of some people have told me they just listen to the parts that Murph talks and then they ignore us, Jeff. So just, it's okay. They just fast forward. <laughs> so <laughs> speed. That's 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 I I mean I sympathize with them because that's the exact same thing that I do. I fast forward from when we talk and when we argue about stuff, and then I get to when Murph is saying. So anyway, well, to be fair, to be fair I've never listened to our podcast because why would I need to listen to our podcast when you're already on it? That's, now that's I mean, now but, that's as ringing but, of an endorsement as we're ever going to get. I do my part. I do. I, I download the I download these shows on two different platforms. That's all we ask. Don't listen. Just download and then then mark as played. That's all you need. Not listen. Please listen to the show because iTunes can okay. tell whether or not you listen to the show or not. There's analytics that help you do that. Well, maybe. <laughs> Please. Okay, fine. <laughs> Please, for our sake. We, do all, we don't do all this work for nothing. So, uh, again, follow us uh, at blackandgoldbanneret.com for all the latest on UCF sports, especially as we head into another weekend of basketball coming up with a few big games. And women's basketball uh, upcoming for Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy. I'm Jeff Sharon saying thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. We'll catch you next week.